0: Isn't it good when the Lord shows up?
1: Yeah.
0: They say, well, He shows up all the time. Well, sometimes He's extra <laughs> special. <laughs> uh, Malachi chapter 4, verse 6. We're going to read there again. Norman, I'm going to plot this next to you. Okay. It's Father's Day, and uh, it's kind of neat. I get an op- opportunity and a privilege to brag on my dad. Um, I, I kind of use this to springboard, kind of what our message is. I, I, you say, well, man, some memories or things that you have with your dad. I think my fondest memory, and I told my son Hunter about this, was uh, when my dad uh, uh, authorized skipping school to go to a cub scheme.
1: Tell me
0: about it. <laughs> so I was, I think, my eighth grade year, and uh, I got a call from the office saying, Steve Lapp, report the office, please. And I'm sitting there going, what did I do today? What did I do? You know, so, because I was clowning and stuff, but uh, I get down there and they're like, your dad wants you to, you know, you got an appointment or whatever. So I get in the car and I'm like, what's going on, man? He's like, we're going to the gut game. I'm like, all right. (laughs) Now, he didn't just get me out of school, he got me out of math. Now, he had no idea But that just so happened to be my worst, you know, teacher. I hated that teacher, and I hated that. So, man, it was, I'm like, Dad, I'm worse forever. (laughs) No, that was a pretty awesome thing. And then then kind of through the years, uh, fishing with my dad and Monty uh, was pretty awesome. My brother... My sister, but we would go out and mainly, it was funny, on vacation. You know, when you go to vacation, you want to sleep in and kind of hang out, right? Well, for me, it was not to sleep in. I wanted to get up before the fish got up so we can go out there and get the biggest dang fish out on the lake. <laughs> so we'd get ready, Dad's like, what time do you want to get up, Steve? So every morning. I'm like, Dad, we're getting up at, I think it was either 6 o'clock or 6.30, every morning we're going on to the boat. So we'd go out to the boat and... You know, it was neat because you kind of have this expectation of you're going to get that fish. You know, you want that story. You think every time you hit the lure in the water, you got any fishermen in here today? You got a couple in here. Uh, you don't want to talk. You throw a lure out there and there's no way to describe when that fish hits the lure. It's, uh, um, uh, my dad was a bass fisherman, do tournaments and stuff. And so it was really cool for me to learn that, uh, skill. And it really is a skill. Fishing is not accidental and, uh, so, but just wanting to expect my dad's like, all right, where are we going fishing? And he'd have a fishing map out And I'm like, anywhere but here. Isn't it funny how you fish? We would always make the joke when you go fishing. We'd go over to the other side of the lake, and everybody from the other side of the lake, and guess where they're coming?
1: <laughs> to your side of the lake.
0: Just <laughs> how it works. But the expectation, the learning, the expectancy. Uh, I want us today as fathers, when we're looking at Malachi, uh, Malachi chapter 4, verse 6, it says this. It says, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to the fathers or else I will come and strike the land with full destruction. Now, again, I'm not going to go into statistics. I'm not going to go into all that. I do know that we have a serious father problem in our society today. And let me tell you this. You can't have boys can't learn how to be men without being raised by men. Let me just give an amen there. And society has taught us that we don't need men. And with the women's lib movement and everything that's pushed through there, we have been in a society where the government kind of tells us how to figure out your own. We don't even use the term masculinity anymore because, well, let's do that. We don't talk about that. No, we talk about that. I want my boy to become a man, don't you? Amen. I want them to grow up. I want them to fight. I want them to struggle. I want want my boy to become a man. Just real simple. And we don't have that anymore, and I believe in the journey of us as fathers and men. I think we kind of go into the backseat, and we kind of quiet ourselves down. We kind of do our own little thing, and we live in our fantasy worlds. And, you know, you look now at society, and many men right now are facing incarceration. We have, I think it's one in three children are without their fathers in the home. We've got these situations going on you say, well, what's the problem America? I'll say, that's the problem America. If you want to give me a pulp, you want to give me a soapbox, that's it. So what do we do? Well, we start caring for what we have now. We can't change the past ten. We don't have the white picket fences and the dogs. Has anybody had a white picket fence? Somebody's like, I got put it up. We don't have that. So what we do is we allow God to come in and we say, God, use right now what I have, all the mistakes, all the things, all the failures, and God start to make me be the man of God that you called me to be. That's the first prayer. Turn to say, God called me a great man, woman of God. As we put our lures in the water, there was no telling what was going. we were going to do that day. Would we get a lot of bites? Would it be the biggest fish we've ever caught? Would there be no fish? There was many times we'd go back and like, catch anything? Like, not a bite. And then there were times where it went absolutely berserk One thing's for sure is that we were going to be fishing and guess what? There would be stories that were going to be made. Fathers, when you approach your days, are they with confidence? Are they with anticipation of the day? And how Christ will show himself to you at the office or the stop in the next meeting, when you're creating, making deals, when you're driving? Do you expect God to do something great in those moments? You know, it's funny how God shows up and where He shows up. God is not dictated by us. He's not even dictated necessarily by our prayers. We think, well, if I pray the right way, then we'll do it. Well, the Pharisees really knew how to pray, but God didn't really show up to Washington, did he? So we can have our religious prayers, and we can have our church stuff, but really where God likes to show up is He likes to show up in weird, crazy places and spaces in our life. And so that's where we need to grow the expectancy again. Brother Lawrence wrote this in a book called Practicing the Presence of God. He insisted that it is necessary to always be aware of God's presence by talking with Him through the day. You know, the Bible says this, it says pray without ceasing. You know that? It you goes, know, so How do you pray without ceasing? Well, it's pretty neat as you start growing in the expectancy of God to think that you must, He insisted this, to think that you must abandon conversation with Him in order to deal with the world is erroneous. Instead, as we nourish our souls by seeing God in His exaltation, we will derive a great joy at being His. You know, you think about how you text. You think about how many times you've communicated in Facebook just the last twenty-four hours. It's mind-boggling. You know, I was at we were at the game the other day, yesterday, and man, you see people on their phones and everybody and their mothers on Facebooks. <laughs> and again, I don't have any. I preach it. I get my soapbox and that, but it, it's mind-boggling to me the amount of communication people do and the amount of resources mentally that is going into this. And yet the resources to God are not there. Because God has been reduced to a religious principle, an idea, a building, a whatever you want to call it out there. God's out there in heaven and we're in here on earth and we've got to keep doing our thing, Right? It's interesting when we start to see God in everything, then we can start to really get involved with God once again. Mark Buchanan wrote this. Nitz was wrong. We haven't killed God. We've just domesticated him. We've made him safe and soft. In our moments of sentimentality, we allow that he might dwell in hushed cathedrals and musty closets and tranquil forests and the laughter of children the soft petals of roses, blah, blah, blah. But not, surely not, in the jostling, and the brawling world of our doings and undoing. Man makes history, God keeps heaven. In boardrooms and bed chambers and lecture halls and marketplaces, God is hardly seen as a player, let alone the author, the one who holds in his hand each king's heart and directs it like a water course. That's what Proverbs says. You want to know our leaders across the world? Guess who directs them? God does. Guess who appoints them? God does. Our day-to-day life is over here, and God is over there in the story. Here's the problem. The Bible doesn't know that distinction. Read the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Bible makes no room for the idea of secular. In the biblical worldview, there is only sacred and profane. See, what we do is we go through life and we go, well, I'm going to church today, so that's a sacred moment. And then we go to work and we go, well, this is secular. I have a secular job and I have a secular boss and, uh, oh, secular this and secular that. Let me ask you about your money. Is it secular or what is money? Money is money. It's either bad or good. Your job that God's given to you, what if you today started to look like it was a calling from God as opposed to saying, well, I have a secular job. One of the things that bothers me is when people kind of look at me as they see me as a pastor, they don't know what to do with me because I'm out doing a business. I'm out doing deals, me and my dad. I have to get on the phone and guess what I have to do to some of my suppliers sometimes? I have to wring their neck and tell them what to do. Is that a secular idea? Come on. In the boardrooms, and the decisions we make, is it any less holy for you to be in the brawling moments of life and doing what God's called you do and start to see God in everything? You know, what's interesting. I was scrubbing my tub the other day, listening to music. Me and Emily were there. We were throwing stuff. You know what you ought to use for your tub? It's pretty awesome. This bleach has like a million and a half uses. Put some biz bleach in a bucket It'll go places for you. Biz bleach, it's amazing. Won't ruin anything. You think it's bleach? It'll ruin your tile. No, oh, you got tile? Core, right on there. Anyway, that's fine. We have biz bleach out back when we sell them.
1: Yeah.
0: Start to see God and everything. I'm sitting there kneeling. Everything was done. I'm scrubbing the tiles. Taking my little rag, I was on my knees. I had, when I clean, I really get dirty. I have to change like into like official cleaning clothes because Steve gets it all over him. You know, Emily looked at me. She's like, Dad, it looks like you took a bath.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is how it works. And so I'm in there kneeling.
0: I'm listening to music. And by valley, in that moment right there, God showed up. And you know what I was doing? I was praying in tongues. I was singing in tongues right as I was scrubbing the tile. Can you believe that? Can you believe that God showed up right there in the tough trial moment with my knees right by the toilet, even? <laughs> right. Sacred and secular. We have Christian music and secular music. We even have Christian businesses. I, man, I, I deliberately don't put a fish on my business. You know why? Because most Christians are bold and want to do business with me. I don't really want to work with. Of being a Christian business. Do you know what I want to do? Do you know what happens on a typical day of the secularness of my window cleaning business? A couple of my technicians, their actual pastors, they go out there and you know what they do? They don't need to hand business cards or fish to people or nothing. They just start to minister to people and they say, hey, can I have the pastor come and do my windows again? It didn't have to do with any distinctions. It didn't have to do with anything. They just started to minister out of the outflow of what God had for them. Can you imagine tagging that in the moment of your life in every day where you don't have to worry about all the titles and all the distinctions. You don't have to worry that you're not a pastor, but that you start to see God in everything. You will pray differently. You will expect different things. You will see different results because you're not not separating the sacred from the secular. Only in the Bible there is no distinction. You only have sacred and profane. You say, well, what do I separate? Well, if you've got junk in your life that's not of God, there is nothing you can do to rectify it. You need to burn that thing up and get rid of it. Our day to day life is here, and God is over there in this story. Here's the distinction Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 through 27. I love this verse. It says, For by Christ all things were created you didn't know that, God created a new world. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Guys, God is not right now going like this in heaven, and I said this before, going, Oh no, what am I going to do? He's not doing that. Everything is going to a specific place at a specific point in time and God has it all together. You say, man, my life right now, as chaotic as it is, is God there? God is smack dab in the middle of that stuff. And the minute you make a decision to say, God, no matter what's going on around these circumstances-wise, I can see that you are faithful in this. I always go back to Joseph in the Old Testament when his brother sold him for slavery and he was in prison and bondage and didn't have anything to do, was taken advantage of, worked his way up, then that woman wanted him, he said, I don't want anything to do with that, he gets put back down in the pit, how many know that God was still faithful in all of those setbacks? Amen,
1: that's right. Amen. Psalm
0: 50, let me give you some assurance verses on where the world sits. Psalm 50 verse 12 says, The world is mine, declares the Lord, and all that is in it. The world's mine is not the devil's. doesn't depend much on changing our activities as it does on doing them for God rather than for ourselves. See, some of us feel like we're going to have to do more at church. I have to do more church stuff in order for my life to advance. Folks, this isn't a sign-up for you to do church stuff. What I do want you to do is the activities that you're in right now, don't do them for yourself anymore. Do them for God. That will change because what will happen is, as opposed to going to work to say, well, I'm going to buy four more things for myself, you're going to say, God... How can I use what you're giving me and become a steward and be now a blessing to do what it is you want me to do with my life? It's a big difference. Because you're not living for yourself anymore. Your family, what you're doing in your family, it's not to make your family uh, prop itself up against you. It's for you to go in your family and do what's on purpose for God and for your life. Work with all your hearts as working for the Lord. Mark you can wrote this. This is the gospel of alchemy, by the way, all this dirty stuff we talk about, being in the television, hearing God and seeing his presence in those moments. It's the gospel of alchemy taking pewter and making it into gold, mixing elixir out of our old puddle of water. See, that's what God does in our lives. That's the magic of It turns pewter into gold. You say, can God do anything with this? Can I expect God in my house to do anything with this? And the answer is yes. If you day today, right now are doubting him, and you say, Lord, forgive me for my doubt in this area, I am trusting you right now to turn what I call garbage, and I promise God will turn it into gold for you somehow. Here's what happens. We lose expectation because our conditions are not how we want to be We have how we feel about our inadequacy. We curse what God is trying to bless. Remember Jacob when he was wrestling with God? He was a liar and a deceiver. And here God's presence was there, and he said... Man, God's presence in here, and I didn't even—I wasn't even aware of it. The Bible says, "Do you know, in all of our lives we start to lose expectancy. We start to realize that, man, I wasn't even aware of God's presence and what He was doing in our life." Mark Buchanan wrote this: "Our lives should be lived with expectancy, not necessarily with expectation, because expectation tends to dictate terms." The Pharisees lived with expectation and rejected Christ. When he did not fit into the rigid narrowness of their expectations, often I wonder if we waiting for Christ's return do it more with expectation than expectancy. Expectancy is the belief that God will do something. Expectation says, He do it just this way, and it's a big, big difference. We get filled with hopelessness, and we dread of the day in our life. I love what Mark Buchanan goes on to write. He says, but that hope took a form that shut out surprises like crosses, resurrection, and deeper redemption. Remember the uh, uh, road to Emmaus, Luke 21 or 24, 21, after Jesus had died on the cross, and Jesus was sitting there talking with him, and they're like, We had hoped he would be the Redeemer of Israel. And Jesus is going, him over here. In fact, after he left and spoke those words, he goes, they said, didn't our hearts burn within us when he started talking to us? See, folks, we want to run from the cross. We want to run from those ideas, but you can't have a resurrection without a cross in your life. And our expectation, and our expectancy is to say, God, I expect you to do this, and you better fix this. By the way, how many of you had a prayer that didn't get answered in the time that you thought it would? Can we get an honest and raise a hand? Okay, two people, three here, See, we build our expectations, and then what we do is we say, God didn't answer, He didn't do this. And I always say this, how many today are where you're at, and you definitely had a different plan for your life 20 years ago? I mean, our plans change and we grow, but here's who's changing. God's not changing, we're doing the changing. God is the same yesterday, forever, and it's a beautiful thing. Here's what we need to do is have faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. And the evidence of what things not seen, things not seen. and there is a longing to see God We'll Turn real quick to Matthew chapter thirteen, verse seventeen. I want to challenge you today, when in your frustration of your day, in your most frustrating moments, I challenge you to invite God in those moments. Say, God, speak to me. What are you trying to show me? Talk to Him. Talk to Him like you talk to your Facebook. Well, maybe not do though. Matthew 13, 17. For I truly tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but they did not hear it. I looked at the word longing there, longing this to covet, to set one's heart upon. The word emphasizes the intensity of desire rather than the object of the desire. Folks, there comes a place in our life where we start to say, I long for you. You know that verse, that song that I had Mike sing. I was singing in the shower. As the deep end for the waters of oh, my soul long after thee. And that longing word means to set your heart upon it, folks. I'm telling you, what happens is it's not so much again us leaving. Our our focus needs to come completely over to what Christ has for us. Oh, for the fathers and men to rise up with ancient longing to see the Holy Spirit move to engage. And to have him invade our desperate times and our desperate moment. To men rise up to pray. You know it's a pretty cool thing to hear men pray. Women, you pray to pray. Sometimes it's hard for men to pray because we don't want to sound stupid. And it's really hard to pray, isn't it? But I tell you, if you can do one thing to pray, one thing I'm getting back to the habit of, at my house is on Sundays when I'm in a hurry, and I'm trying to get this done and get that done and iron my shirt and do all that I'm getting ready to do for Sundays... There's one thing that I started doing again with my wife and I said, "Anne, before I leave for church, let's pray real quick. And it's a simple prayer. I say, Lord, I pray that you just show up today in an awesome way. God, we just thank you that you're going to move in a very powerful way. It's a two-minute prayer and we just pray together and submit what's going on in that. Second thing that needs to happen for us, and with fishing it happens this way, is we've got to learn to adapt. Dads, men... We've got to learn to adapt. The word adapt means to change something so that it functions better or is better suited for a purpose. When we would fish, you can't just throw one lure out there because the conditions are going to tell you otherwise. If it's cloudy, you use a different color fishing. If it's uh, a lot of waves or whatever, you got to go deeper in the middle of the day. Whatever it is, there's all these conditions. The lure industry has made millions trying to get fishermen to adapt to the conditions you open my desk, uh the tackle box, you'll have all sorts of different lures, And for all of us, there's different reasons and different things and different tools that God wants us to use. You must adapt in your daily walk with Christ. Do you know, here's how you adapt. In your daily frustration, there's nothing more frustrating than getting a uh, a lime or a snag when I would go fishing. Very horrible, very frustrating. When I fish, usually with Hunter tries to go fishing with me, he's like, Dad, how does this work? And I... I'll get a knock like by the second pass. I don't have the same patience to adapt as my dad does. This just doesn't work that way. But when we adapt, we adapt in our daily walk with Christ. This is the place of frustration. This is the place where there's no excitement. This is the place where we have to adapt to see God move in a very powerful way in our lives. You don't have to turn there, but Joel 2.28 declares this. This is where young men will dream dreams... And old men will have visions. You know, something I believe prophetically will start to happen in the last days is we'll have dreams and we'll have visions. Dad, I challenge you to pray for your children. I don't care if they're 30 years old today or if they're 15 or if they're 54. Pray that God would give your children visions and dreams. Don't pray for a better job. Don't pray for a better house. Don't pray for a better spouse. Wait, that right? Pray that they have a vision. Pray that they have a dream. Pray that they go after something bigger than them. Pray that you in your life, you say, God, I'm not living for anything. Learn to cast all your cares on Him in these moments, these small issues. You say, what small issues? Pray for God in those moments where you're frustrated about the broken down home or the broken down car. How many of you get, you know, something broken down? Our plumbing went bad. We always say this, you know, bad things happen in trees. You've heard that thing before. Yeah. You know, it was funny, man, I come home, I had just left, got back from Rock cut for our men's camp out, and the plumbing was backed out. I looked out the front door, and the planter box I bought in for Mother's Day was leaning wrong, and it was coming apart. I'm going... What's happening? And then another thing was broken. And all these things are getting me really frustrated. Anybody been there before? <laughs> give God those tears. Start small. You know, right now we want to give God the really deep ones, the deep things. I have this little problem with my kid here, and we have this over here, we have this problem. And folks, I'm not telling you, you can't talk about those problems. But if you don't start dumping off to God even the small cares in your everyday life as you adapt to the challenges, you won't give God your big cares. You'll start to get kind of that savior mentality where you have to be the problem solver for everything in your life. And so today I challenge you, this is my hardest part, give God the little things. Give God the broken down flower box. Trust me, it's hard. Give God the plumbing. Give God it all. And I know that sounds really silly. As you start to trust God with every area of your life, you'll see how faithful He is in all those areas. John 16.33 declares this, In the world you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. God says this, I have overcome. The world's tribulation is defined as hardship or state of good or great trouble. Are there any people here today that you've got some great troubles going on? Pretty crazy troubles. Where do you need to change today in adapting those things? Eric in Texas wrote about Chuck Polson, and I wanted to finish with this, just because of the state where we're at, the Great Troubles. He wrote about Chuck Polson. I don't know if you know who Chuck Polson was, but he's the founder of Prison Fellowship. He's one of the men who went down with Watergate back in the 70s. I'm going to read just a, a short excerpt of who Chuck Polson is. July 8, 1974, Becoming prisoner number 23226, he saw that his prison sentence and his suffering were part of a grand and holy scheme. God had humbled him and brought him there precisely so that he could help these men. Eric in Texas writes that in January 1975, dawn. Chuck, uh, Chuck was filled with hope that he might be released early. Three other Watergate conspirators were being released early. But the judge, Gerhold Gessel, decreed and he would remain behind bars. There would be more bad news. On January 20th, 1975, Chuck learned that the Virginia Supreme Court voted to disbar him from practicing law ever again. And there was still one more piece of bad news to come. Chuck received word that his son, Chris, had been arrested for drug possession. On January 29th, when Chuck was perhaps at low as head, his friend Harold Hughes came to visit. He had been a regular visitor during his incarceration, but today Hughes saw that his friend had hit rock bottom, He was exhorting him to turn all his problems over to God. Sounds easy, doesn't it? It sounded so simple, but doing so was not easy. Nevertheless, Chuck took his friend's advice. That night he prayed, Lord, if this is what this is all about, then I thank you. I praise you for leaving me in prison, for letting them take away my license to practice law. Yes, even for my son being arrested. I praise you for giving me your love through these men, for being God, for just letting me walk with Jesus. Somehow, the prayer changed everything. As Chuck recalled later, this was the real mountaintop experience. Above and around me, the world was filled with love and beauty. For the first time, Chuck says, I truly felt free. What Chuck didn't know was that his lawyer was working with the judge again, asking whether he would at least give Chuck a 10-day furlough to be with his son. He decided to rule it away that no one could have anticipated. He released Chuck personally. Don't forget, folks, this. That as, as you change, God is also changing things around you. Amen. Eric in Texas goes on to write this. Chuck had a vision as he was released from prison just shortly after that. And Chuck is not one of these mystic guys, he doesn't really, he's not a vision kind of guy. But as clear as day, as he was looking in the mirror, God gave Chuck a vision, and here was what it was. And this is Chuck writing this. I saw men in prison gray moving around, classes, discussions, prayers. The picture became more sharply focused of smiling men and women streaming out of prisons with Bibles and study groups and around tables. These mental images lasted but a few seconds. They were all gone. I had never experienced anything like that before or since. And now, fast-forwarding three years later from us being released by prison, three years later, Prison Fellowship Ministries grew to employ 100 employees in 23 states and nearly 7,000 volunteers working with inmates who had finished in prison seminars in 600 prisons. for all of us today, and we look and talk about adapting to change in our environments, you say, man, he lost everything. He went to prison. He lost his law license. His career was gone. Everything was over that he counted precious. His son in prison being arrested for drug possession. Folks, all of us have crazy things that happen to us that we didn't plan on. But I'm telling you, as you adapt and as you look into the mirror and say, God, show me something. Give me a vision for my life. That is the best prayer that you can pray in those helpless moments. So God, give me something that I can grab on Are you ready to adapt to change to allow the Holy Spirit to arrest you, so to speak, as you give up and you say, God, no matter all this, I thank you for all this because you're ordering my steps. You're ordering my purpose. God, you're putting things together. I'll never forget telling someone this. I want to end with this. Mike, you want to come up here? I'll never forget I asked him, we were counseling, and he wanted some problems, answers to his problems and answers to his situation. And I asked him a really simple question. I said, do you pray? Now, when we hear the words pray, we think it very religious and say, you know, praying fasting and praying for hours. I said, no, do you talk to God when you're driving me to do anything? And he goes, no. I said, I want you to do something as you're out working tomorrow. Just do a test for me. Say, Lord, will you speak to me? And do it from your heart. Don't do it like, God, speak to me. And humble and, and humbleness. Just say, God, will you please speak to me? I need to hear your voice. So many of us, we've listened to the voice of reason. We've listened to the opinions of men. We've listened to our four friends who tell us all the things that you need to do and to fix. We listen to the social medias and all these kind of things, and we extrapolate from that, we take from that and we say, man, I'm going to use that I'm going to put my best foot forward kind of mentality and I want to tell people in all of your problem solving stop trying to solve your problems right now for a moment adapt to change by simply saying, God, like Chuck Colson did, God I thank you that you stripped my law of high sins away God, I thank you for putting me in prison I'm done fighting, and I give up. I asked him that, and I said, you know what? Ask God to speak to you. Just ask God to talk to you. And I, am in church, we believe that God still speaks. Do I believe he speaks through his word? Absolutely. Do I believe that God speaks through visions? Absolutely. Do I believe that God speaks through billboards? I still believe that God still speaks through donkeys, even. You might have some donkeys in your life and you say, What good is the donkey? Here, hit the donkey. And God's going to use that donkey to wake you up. God uses burning bushes. God uses the audible voice. God speaks to your mind. I don't know how to tell you, but I'll never forget the time when God spoke to me. And this is my testimony. Like me being bi it's the thing that charges me all the time. I remember a prophet spoke to me very specifically years ago about what God was to do. But then another thing happened to me. I'll never forget, I was frustrated. And I was saying, God, what's going to happen here? What's going to happen there? When am I going to get into full-time ministry? And the only way God can speak, and He speaks to each of us differently, He said, Steve, when did I tell you that I couldn't I almost had a heart attack. And I paused for a moment as I was crying as I had an expectation that God would do something. That's where expectancy and expectation is different. And I said, Lord, wait, wait what did you just say? How many of you had those what did you just say moments? What have I been doing? He said, Steve, just all he said, he didn't clarify his statement, he didn't say, now in closing, Steve, he said, Steve, when did I call you to full-time ministry? What that did for me is it woke me up, my consciousness, if you will, my heart woke up again. And as opposed to Steve being so rigid of how God is going to use me, how God's going to form me, how God's going to do this, you go to seminary, you go to Bible school, and then you do this, and you drink your coffee, and you study books, and people come to you, and you're a cute little pastor. As opposed to that, he said, I have a different plan for you. And our families are going to have to adapt and come to the full-growing knowledge that as God speaks to us, if He speaks to you through a billboard, say, thank you, God, for that billboard over there. If He speaks to you through a donkey, thank God for the donkey, folks. You need donkeys sometimes. If He speaks to you in a still, small voice, wonderful. And here's the other cool thing. If God doesn't say anything, You With know my dad, you know, we didn't have when we'd go out there fishing and we'd be out together playing catch, whatever we did growing up. I had that privilege, but you know what? When we were out fishing, we did not have these long theological conversations about life, Dad. What's the meaning of life? You just said, uh, Can we get back to fishing here? <laughs> but you know what? I found meaning in just being in his presence. And as you get into the presence of God in your life, as you get around Him, as you study, as you just open yourself to the possibility that God has a vision and a dream for you, I am telling you, as your life adapts, you'll do great and mighty things with God. Why don't we close our eyes for a moment. I never want to leave this quest ever... We're together as the body of Christ we with people who are wrestling with concepts of God and maybe fears and maybe setbacks and maybe they've just been hurt by Christians or people who, quote, call themselves Christians. And today, you didn't know what to expect. You came here today and you might have had some religion you might have had some church in your past, but you didn't know that God wants to speak to you and have a personal relationship with you. You say, I want Christ in my life. I want the Heavenly Father. I want my sins forgiven. I want new life. I've lived in the junk too long. And I've lived in a form of religion in a form of my own goodness, but I have simply never given myself over to God. And maybe today you're not in a physical prison, but you are definitely in a mental prison. And you're wearing the garb and everything. And you've assigned yourself a number and a boundary. And you've not been allowing yourself to go outside of those walls. I want to tell you today that God offers the freedom. And he goes and he rescues you if you let it. And he will set up a table in the midst of your enemies, in the midst of your problems. And he will give you peace that passes all understanding. And though your circumstances in life might not change overnight. You will have a peace and you will have eternity in your hearts. And you will have knowledge of God. And you will know Him. Not on paper, but you will know Him, the person of Jesus. As the Holy Spirit fills you, you will have new life. Today, if that's you and you say, you know what? I want to know God. I don't know Him, but I want to know Him today. I want to ask Him into my heart and into my life. And I want to receive that free gift of freedom that He offers. today a day of painful horrible death and if you were the only one he would do it all over again today at that you, you say I want Jesus Christ in my heart and my life I want to give myself over to him with every head bowed and every eye closed why don't you raise your hand with me i want to pray with you anyone you know, the Bible declares this that that one person comes to the kingdom the angels in heaven they are celebrating don't wait Number two, this isn't just for fathers or men. This is for all of us. Maybe you had a hard time and you've lost expectancy and you definitely aren't adapting anymore. You've really become rigid and controlling. And I pray that God gives each and every one of us that vision, that dream to spark us and to wake us up and say, no, you might have thought that way was the best way for you, but I promise you there is a way, better way. say I give up, maybe today it's like Chuck Colson and you have to say God I am trusting you with all these circumstances I've been full of anger and resentment and bitterness and fear and today I give it over to you and I trust you I I promise you this folks, it's not going to be all roses but I will tell you this, that God is orchestrating events and as you adapt to his plan oh life's going to be so much better. Today if that's you believer and you say you know what Right now, God's calling you to adapt some things and grow in my expectancy. But don't you raise your hand to pray for you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Why don't we all pray this together? Dear Jesus, I thank you for speaking to me that you love me with an everlasting love. Help me to grow. Help me to adapt. Help me to change. I give you all my circumstances. Good, bad, and ugly. And I trust you with them, Father. I choose to adapt to what you're taking me through. I thank you, God, that you have a purpose in mind for me. That you know my end before the beginning. That you are eternal. I thank you, God, that I am safe in the palm of your hand. I give you me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, I'm telling you, it's a good, good thing to give God our lives. Amen. I love you, love you, love you very much. If there's anything you want to pray for specifically, uh, privately, whatever it is, we'd love to pray with you. If it's healing, whatever it is, memories, whatever it be, I want to pray with you and stand with you today. But I love you very much. Have a great Father's Day. And uh, try not to overeat. Try lots of water today. Amen. Amen.
1: Well, we're getting together for uh, the first house for a number How fun? we are doing that as you leave couple We did, yeah. Oh, uh, She's uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> need to get together. Okay. We're going to have to do that. Okay. We're off to there next or last week Thank you. I got like Okay.
2: Okay. okay. Bye for okay. uh, okay. uh, yeah, so 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 one. Uh, uh, we'll to not because of that, but you know, if don't have a spend I think uh,
0: Saturday,
2: night. or uh, Friday and Saturday, but it's Saturday, uh,
1: We never got to see This is
2: a I they're all they were here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They were the rest of I believe, they were mm-hmm.
1: they were then. they
2: Yeah, they came This, uh, that was of and we're in the i mean, yeah, that We've
1: seen the uh,
2: down there. At, uh, yeah. A Holy cow, yeah. so, uh, yeah. I had it before I had my
1: license. I
2: bought, it. mm. I bought it like, uh, from my yeah. dad bought it for me. Like, and, yeah. I bought yeah. um, uh, uh,
1: I uh, uh, I we're okay,
2: oh, um. uh, going to have to so that um, uh, I, uh, I, like uh, uh, I like that like, uh, It was a good night.